if if Aaron Rodgers gets traded, they're probably number one because now they've got a rookie quarterback and they've got the world by the tail. So is there a scenario where that is the right thing for the Green Bay Packers? Yeah, well, you know, I say first, I'm looking forward to the headline grab this being, you know, Brad Spielberg at PFF says that the Packers would be smart to trade the reigning MVP. Um, and it's, you know, it's tough to be the GM that trades the, the reigning MVP, your 17-year starter. But look, I mean, he's 38 years old. Yes, I, I think Tom Brady ruins all football analysis because the guy is just not human. But we're looking at guys like a Ben Roethlisberger, like a Matt Ryan, like any of these other guys. I mean, this is kind of that age where you start to decline and fall off. Um, and he's, you know, he had two kind of, you know, for him, four years before this year. So there is a case to be made. There is an argument. Um, you save about $22 million, $23 million. Um, you can use that to, you know, make Devontae Adams one of the highest paid wide receivers in the NFL. You can make Jair Alexander our number one corner on Sam's top 50, uh, one of the highest paid corners in the NFL. And you can hand Jordan Love the keys to a really, really good roster with, with a, you know, multiple first round picks for multiple years. Um, and you can get the evaluation on him started earlier. So there is a case. All right, welcome into the Chris Collinsworth Richard Sherman podcast, where Richard is still out negotiating his contract, and we wish him well. Um, we have a great podcast for you today. It really is. Our PFF's own Sam Monson, who is our senior NFL analyst and co-host of the PFF NFL podcast, and there are millions of listeners that they have. And we also have a guy that I'm going to meet for the first time myself. He's our cap expert here at PFF, Brad Spielberger will join us as well because all things are about money. <laughs> I tell my kids all the time, it's like, all right, so they say, Dad, why is it? I said money. And they said, but no, but why is that money? I said, just answer money and you'll be right 99.9% .9 of the time. And at the other point, one, I, I don't even know what that is. But so we're going to talk about a lot of things, Aaron Rodgers, all the deals that could happen for some of these 2018 quarterback class members, the Baker Mayfields, the Josh Allens, Lamar Jacksons of the world. But before uh, we get going here, a couple things to remind you about. I just saw this today for the first time. The PFF College Preview Magazine is live now. So you can go online. It's only $7.99 with a college football uh, grades and subscription. It is phenomenal. If, if you think the draft guide was unbelievable, wait till you see this college preview that breaks down with four or five pages on every single team. It is, you've got to see it. You've got to see this thing. 600 plus pages of analysis. It includes win projections from our simulation engine to figure out who you're going to bet on, strength of schedule, scheme, coaching analysis, passing, receiving heat maps, more. All you can be is there and available at pff.com. Go get the college football guide. There is nothing like it. Um, also, next week, we have an incredible guest on the show, a quarterback from the AFC West. There's a little tease for you. He's joining us. You won't want to miss that. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast to get the episode uh, as soon as it drops. But right now, we're talking a little moolah moolah with Sam Monson and Brad Spielberger. So, Brad, welcome in to the Chris Collinsworth slash former Richard Sherman slash Sam Monson slash <laughs> the puppy in a stocking show. It's good to have you with us. 
Yeah, great to be here. And, uh, I mean, even last week, um, you know, you had Arthur Smith kind of – you don't hear teams very often confirm that, you know, money drives decisions, but it, it certainly does. Yeah, that was, that was – of course, we might as well just start right there with it, with Atlanta. I mean, Arthur Smith goes in there, and they have no choice. They didn't even have enough money to sign their, their draft picks that they had. And I was reading some of your numbers on the Atlanta Falcons, and I want to say off the top of my head that they have five players that accounts for like a hundred and something million dollars next year. And now, of course, one of them's Julio, who's going to count, but he's not going to be there. Yeah, no, it's they are. I think it's you can make a case they're probably in the worst cap situation in the NFL because um, I think you know we know we all know the Saints, but at least the Saints have like a lot of young talent. And, and so there's there's room for growth. And there's potential for kind of, you know, letting those younger players kind of take over. Um, you know, in Atlanta, it's bloated, it's top heavy, and they, and they haven't really hit the draft too well in recent years. Yeah, next year they have five guys. Granted, they're all solid players. You know, Matt Ryan, Jake Matthews, a left tackle, uh, Grady Jarrett, great interior defender, um, you know, a couple others. They're all Deion good players. Jones, but yeah, they're taking yeah. up, you know, 70% of the cap for five guys. $115 million for five guys. That's sort of what I pay our podcast guys. It's unbelievable. <laughs> Everybody's making all that money, and I, we can't afford to have anybody else. Step back for a minute for me now. And as the 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 capologist here, tell me what generally people should understand about money and the NFL, and in particular maybe this year because the salary cap <clears throat> would have been much higher had it not been for COVID and how that played into a lot of these guys, the Richard Shermans of the world, who still can't find a team. Yeah, so, you know, the NFL um, has a reasonable expectation the cap's going to go up, you know, about 5 6% each year. Um, in recent years, it's been about $10 million is kind of the number that gets thrown out. Um, and so when you're, you're budgeting, you know, for the following season, you're expecting, you know, this, this year teams probably thought, all right, it's going to be a 210-ish million dollar salary cap. Um, and instead it's 182 million. So, you know, a $30 million difference. And, and the main thing to understand about the cap is that it's just an accounting tool. It's really just moving money around and, and shifting, you know, payment structures and things like that. But, you know, the cash is different. You can spend, you know, the, the Houston Texans spent $250 million in cash last year. Um, they led the NFL, but that wasn't their cap commitment. So you can push money down the line. You can push cap down the line. But eventually, you know, if you do that for, forever, which, you know, Atlanta did, uh, it does, it always eventually catches up to you. Uh, Sam and I were just talking about, and, and Sam's got this down cold now, the, the <laughs> void years and the voidable years that come into play you hear it all the time and it's just what a figment of somebody's imagination yeah and the only reason i know that is because i bugged brad about it around free agency when everybody was <laughs> using void years um one of the best things brad wrote was this article salary cap terms and tricks to know ahead of nfl free agency where he broke down like all of these common things and actually give you an idea of what these crazy contracts mean because free agency happens and we're all out there, you know, grading the move, trying to say what, whether it was good or bad. And everybody knows that, like, the initial headline number you hear 
is almost meaningless. You have to wait for the guaranteed money, and then you have to wait for how it's structured and whether it's actually the five-year deal it's headlined as or if it's more like a two-year deal because of, you know, void years, avoidable years. So, yeah, the, the whole thing, as Brad says, is just like crazy accountancy practices. Yeah, you know, and, and then we go to, like, a Patrick Mahomes, and he signs for half a billion dollars, and the only thing I keep hearing is, oh, what a great deal that is for the club, that he signed a very team-friendly half a billion dollar deal. That's what I'd like to do with NBC right now. I'd like to sign a very NBC-friendly half a billion dollar deal to go work for them. Explain to me how that is working for Kansas City. Yeah, yeah. So the interesting thing with Mahomes, the, the structure there is unique in that um, like you said, you never know. You, nothing is guaranteed. Um, of the $470 million, um, technically only $140 million of that is truly guaranteed, you know, right up front. But they had a rolling guarantee structure, which will protect him going forward, where essentially, you know, this offseason in 2021, his 2023 money became guaranteed. Next year in 2022, 2024 will become guaranteed, you know, and so on and so forth. So, if the team did want to go ahead and make that decision to um, to move on, I mean, they're, they're basically paying three years of, of cash or, you know, it's, it's hitting their cap um, to do that. So that's his protection, but it still is. It, it still is a very team-friendly deal. Um, you know, I couldn't put him at first in our ranking of the top contracts in the NFL and um, because there's just stability there. There's just control there. Um, and if they ever need to restructure him, which they did this offseason, um, you know, drop his salary down to the minimum, convert, you know, a roster bonus into a signing bonus, and just push it out into the future, um, you know, they can do that forever because there's 10 year, ten real years, not even void years, um, you know, just sitting there on that deal. So the biggest, the biggest weapon, I guess, that the teams have is that they can pay in a salary cap sort of friendly way that prorated out over a number of years, right? So the longer the deal, you can pay them $100 million on a 10 million, uh, uh, on a 10-year deal. And so in theory, that's $10 million a year spread out across. So it doesn't all hit in the first year so you can sign other players. I mean, that's sort of the basics of it, right? So as, as you start to look at this, what I always look at is, my opinion, the most valuable people in the NFL are rookies. Why? Because, well, you think that they're going to have the possibility of playing the longest and they're the cheapest, you know? So if I were a veteran trying to put together a collective bargaining agreement, why do I want a rookie wage scale? Because now you're taking not only the youngest players that have the most longevity ahead of them, which makes them really valuable. You're also delivering that package in the cheapest way possible to the club so why aren't we dealing with rookies all over the place? Because, you know, that's such a valuable commodity. Yeah, no, it's, a, it's an interesting point because obviously they're, you know, they went the opposite route. Um, you know, as we know before, you know, Sam Bradford back in 2010, um, I mean, signed a record contract as the number one overall pick. And he was 50 million in, in guarantees, um, you know, hadn't played an NFL snap yet. Um, and, I, and I think the thing there is still that, the teams are still going to, because they're making that investment, both in the, the draft capital and, and the money, um, that, you know, there, there's an incentive to play that guy, to have that guy make the roster over a veteran. Um, so the vets probably thought, well, if we can chop those salaries down, 
um, you know, at the least we'll get our, you know, our second deal and maybe our third deal, um, you know, and so on and so forth. We'll, we'll get a little bit of extra money. But like you said, there is a kind of a perverse incentive where, yeah, I mean, they're the, they're the most valuable asset in football. Um, you know, both, like you said, both on the field, they're, they're good, they're young, they're, they're talented, they're still, you know, playing at top speed. And you have the added component of, like, we look at a guy like Nick Bosa. I mean, he's already, you know, right away, he was one of the best edge rushers in football. He's the 37th highest paid edge rusher in football. I mean, that the value there is out of control. It's like the law of unintended consequences. Yeah. Right? It's like those, those rookie contracts were insane at the time the veterans were trying to nix them. Guys like, you know, Sam Bradford, Matthew Stafford, those number one quarterbacks were coming in, getting these monster contracts, and half of them would bust. Like, they're getting paid a ton of money for literally nothing at the NFL level. So we're, the veterans want to kill those contracts, but in doing so, you accidentally make those rookies the most valuable coveted asset. You make asset them even more valuable. In the NFL. So if I'm, if I'm negotiating on behalf of the veteran players, I would say, listen, the rookie minimum wage scale is a million dollars. You want a rookie, you got to pay him a million dollars. The veteran minimum wage scale is $700,000. So now what have I done? I've created an incentive plan to keep older players around because you're already going to gain an advantage being a rookie because there's a possibility that of the unknown. He could turn into something great. He could play for 10 years. I just thought from the beginning, the whole thing was kind of backwards as far as what which incentive would I try to create for the veteran players? Well, the only thing, the only option they have is to be cheaper than the rookies are. Yeah, I mean, I, you, uh, I guess you should have been sitting in on the uh, the conversation with the NFLPA for this last CBA. They did take your advice a little bit. Um, they, they've created veteran salary benefits where if you're a guy with four or more years of service, um, you know, accrued seasons, all that, all that stuff, you can essentially sign a deal where it's your minimum from a cash perspective but it hits on the salary cap as if you had two years of service. So, you know, essentially a rookie deal player. So, I mean, yeah, cash does matter more than cap, but you can get a, you know, you as a veteran are more attractive on the, on the free agent market because you may actually cost less than some of these rookie players or undrafted players. So they're starting to realize, you know, things like you just said right there, that you have to create these incentives to add veteran players. We're getting uh, salary cap tax credits now. This is getting crazy. I like it. We're, we're getting deep down in the, in the well here. We're going to go through some of these teams, and we'll definitely do this. We're going to come back as well a little later and talk some of uh, Sam's uh, top 50 players in the NFL, which – probably makes you about as popular as as i am generally. everybody loves the list i don't know what you're talking about <laughs> and we'll go through we'll go through some of the stuff but the article that is the what the latest one that brad wrote out here now I, I i have an accounting degree and i have a law degree i looked at this and i went oh baby so i got my my able to spread my screen out a little bit and i'm starting to dig into this thing but it is terms like cap health rank active draft capital 2021 to 23 effective cap space 20 to 21 uh, to 23 prorated money top 51 veteran valuation and 2022 ufa valuation so all of this means a lot to you it meant nothing to me did you read this article yeah well, you, you, you're sitting there with your accountancy and law degree. I have a history degree. 
So what I can take from this chart is there's colors. <laughs> That's a little bit of where I started out as well. But I, I do want to hit on each of these categories because I did study it and I did and I want to understand this stuff. So the first one is is active draft capital. And so you've come up with a system of some kind, right? Where the Trevor Lawrence's of the world is worth three 3,000 points in, in this system of yours. Explain what it is and explain why I should be paying attention to teams like Jacksonville, the New York Giants, Cleveland, Denver, Cincinnati, the Jets, and Carolina, because those are the teams that really have the, the most active draft capital. And some of the teams on the bottom New Orleans, Houston, Tennessee, Chicago, Kansas City, are, 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 is that an uh-oh for those teams because they have, in some cases, like New Orleans, next to nothing? Yeah, so I should say uh, I did steal this idea from, from Timo Riske at PFF. So That's all right. He's in the family. You can for, steal for from the, the family. Concept, That's but right. <laughs> and it's, in the most simplistic sense, we have you know the Jimmy Johnson trade value chart uh, we now at PFF have come up with all sorts of different charts. Um, you know, before I joined the company, I, I wrote a book based on salary cap and second contracts that also created a points chart. And so all that Timo did that I uh, stole for this article was essentially we have the point chart. And so at first I was just going to say, hey, look, the Jaguars have 20 draft picks, you know, on their roster. The Saints have 10. But then I said, let's take it a step further. You know, the Jaguars have the first overall pick. They have last year's, you know, 10th overall pick in C.J. Henderson. So instead of just looking at, you know, the total volume of picks, I said, all right, let's add a or let's assign a point value to each of those guys. So the Jaguars have the most, you know, rookie play, rookie contract players on the team. And as we talked about, super valuable. And those guys were taken with very high draft picks. So, um, yeah, for them, it's great. But of course, you know, those guys need to pan out. Um, you know, draft capital is great, and you know, until you get the player, and you have to actually develop the guy. Um, and then with you know the Saints and the and the Bears and the Chiefs and stuff like that, um, you know, they, they've made big trades. Obviously, the Chiefs before this year's draft, you know, traded their first round pick um, to add Orlando Brown and slide him over to left tackle. So you know, they're they're becoming a top heavy roster. I mean, the Rams aren't going to have a first round pick for seven years in a row. So when when you don't have those assets like we talked about, you know, you can rely on those guys so much because you know, they, they provide that surplus value where you can go spend in free agency because you're getting such a great deal on X player. Um, when you don't have that to lean on, um, you know, things get tougher. You know, the margins get a bit slimmer. So those teams just have to, you know, make fewer mistakes. Um, you know, don't, don't give out bad deals in free agency. And there's just, you know, less of a margin for error. Um, the, the next category down was uh, the um, effective cap space. Um, and exactly what is that and, and what is it that, so the salary cap will go from around 180 million, something like that this year to 208 to 225. Am I, I'm pretty close, right? Yep. Yep. Something in, in those categories and the possibility in a couple of years, you wrote down about 2023 being maybe much higher because the TV money starts to kick in. Uh, at that point, um, how significant is is this category? Because basically, what you're doing is you're taking the players under contract and you're adding in at least minimum wage for the remaining roster spots. So if you have you use the example of 45, 
contracts. So you put in eight additional players at minimum wage. So that's the least amount that they could end up paying and then whatever it is over that, right? Yeah, and, and so that's just, so we're able to compare, you know, across teams because, you know, some clubs right now have 45 guys under contract for 2023. Um, you know, the Steelers, you know, are on the other end of the spectrum where like they have like 10 guys under contract for 2023 because they're, you know, kind of pushing their chips in, you know, in the short term. So that just enables us to compare across teams because, you know, I'll get a lot of people, you know, message me on Twitter or whatever, say, oh, we have $100 million in cap space. Well, yeah, because you need to fill 45 spots on your roster with players. So it's still not perfect. Like you said, you're looking at a minimum um, so it's still not a perfect metric. And so, and this obviously can be manipulated and, and these deals can get moved around. Um, but it just provides us a foundation and an understanding of kind of where their, their starting point is and how they can kind of go from there, um, how much room they have to work with. And if you see, you know, on the, even Dallas. I was going to um, ask Green you Bay, about I mean, they're Dallas. Over the cap. Dallas is over the cap even for next year already, um, you know, projecting with a, with a pretty substantial increase. So, you know, it still is actionable information. The, the other one, I'm, I'm going to skip across here for a, a minute to get to the 2022 UFA valuations. And I, if I'm reading this right, this is the amount of money expected to be paid to their free agents or that their free agents will make. Is that right? Yeah. So this, again, it's not perfectly correlated to cap space because I my projections I, I you know started to work with here at PFF are tied to the per year average of the contracts when they hit free agency, um, but and then I, and those that column is the sum of the you know of those deals. So you know for example, I think Washington football team is high on that list. Um, you know that you have a Jonathan Allen who's playing on his fifth year option this year. I might say okay, you know I think he's going to make you know maybe eighteen million dollars per year. You know on the open market if he has another good season. And so you're going through for each team. And I'm doing all those projections for every player and then seeing, you know, for the guys specifically that need new money after this upcoming season, um, you know, what is the sum of all those guys? Of course, it's a good problem to have. It means you have good players, um, but you still need to pay those guys. And obviously, they're going to take up, you know, some cap space. Uh, which is unbelievable, trying to project what the player is going to make on the open market after this season. Right. I mean, and this is what these general managers are trying to do constantly and be able to just keep this in place. So let, let's let's just let's just play the game with a couple of teams. And because I think you make some really good points. And and I'm gonna I'm just gonna hit on a handful of these. And Sam, feel free to jump in here wherever you want. The Arizona Cardinals right off the bat. And this is what we're starting to talk about a little bit now. These these teams with quarterbacks that they have to make decisions on. You know, the, the the Kyler Murray in this case. They they've loaded up. I mean, the Arizona Cardinals have loaded up here, JJ Watt, Rodney Hudson, a couple of deals that that have really uh played into that. We've got to know right now what we have in Kyler Murray. Yeah, no, and it's a trend we've seen for years now and I, I think it's going to continue is that when you when you have the rookie contract guy that you know top ten pick um, comes in, if he shows even a little bit of promise going into that third year, is when you know things are going to start to either you know it's a make or break season. You still have that surplus value, which you know for example like a Mahomes on his rookie deal going into his third season, coming off an MVP year, you're probably saving forty million dollars per year on his deal. So you, you you don't have to spend, but you you obviously should spend and, and kind of you know push your chips into the center of the table. So the Cardinals are an example. Yeah, I mean, they spent on 
older veteran players. They used a ton of void years. They've used them a bit in the past, but they pushed a lot of money into the future to try to load up this roster and maximize it. Because after this year for Kyler Murray, um, you know, you have that fifth-year option decision comes after his third season. So you're going to fully guarantee, you know, $25 million on him for his fifth year. Um, so the time is now. You know, the window is now for them to load up, to spend some money, um, and try to maximize those last two cheap years of his rookie deal. Sam, we've been talking about Baker Mayfield, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, because those are the guys that are up, right? And yeah. they're going to they're gonna be making the big money. Um, you want to take a shot at trying to put those guys in some kind of order? I mean, because you guys talk about recency bias all yeah. the time. Every one of those guys have had their year. Right. right, and I think just jumping back to Kyler Murray for a second, if he has a big year, like he could put his contract number into the stratosphere because people love patterns, right? You love when things line up perfectly in the nice, neat way that they're supposed to. And that would mean, A, you you made that decision to throw everything at Kyler Murray when you already had a first-round quarterback in Josh Rosen from the year before. Then Murray goes out there, plays pretty well as a rookie, pretty even better as a second-year player, and then has that third-year monster season. And even if that was a high watermark, even if that doesn't represent what he's going to be from there on in, if you're the decision makers, if you're the guys there, Steve Kime looking at this, you're like, we nailed it. We put all the chips in with this guy. And now look, he's he's an elite quarterback after year three. He's only going up, like throw all the money at him. And then like, who knows whether he'll justify it going on. You know, are they throwing it at the quarterback or are they throwing it at the coach and GM? Right. <laughs> you know, which is sometimes, right? You got you to think about that as well because these guys, certainly Chicago, they were going to be on the hot seat there and then they come up with Justin Fields. So everybody's trying to play this game. Uh, but, you know, Lamar Jackson to me is one of the most interesting cases. Yeah. Here, they have built a football team around him. They have designed an offense Greg Roman's offense is clearly built around him. They have now they've brought in receivers, you know, because he was the MVP. They sort of, you know, weren't he wasn't quite that the, this past year. Questions about is he ever going to be the guy that's going to be able to pass them to a Super Bowl championship? Tell me what's going on uh, right now, because if you're an agent for Baker Mayfield, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, you're going, hey, you guys just doubled your television money. So I don't care what Patrick Mahomes made. Double means that I should be at least where Patrick Mahomes is, if not above that, because if I don't get it now, everybody else is going to get it. A hundred percent. And that's the thing is that, you know, in the quarterback market, um, you know, if you're the next guy up and, and you've shown, you know, enough flashes of good play, you know, you're, you're probably going to reset the market or, or come close to it. You know, I think because Mahomes signed a decade long contract, maybe there will be, you know, an impetus and an effort to keep, you know, those guys below that 45 million per year mark. Um, if you break his contract down, Mahomes is, I won't get too into the details, but it's really the first five years kind of just surpassed Watson at about 39 and a half million. Um, and then the last five years were about 50 and a half million and kind of met in the middle. So, um, you know, I still think that they might not hit that 45, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I put, you know, projections out for the site. I had all three of those guys surpassing Dak Prescott's 40 million per year, which I understand people think is crazy, but that's even without considering the added component that you mentioned of. I mean, in 2023, the salary cap might jump to $240 million. And those guys will know, you know, we just gave you 
you know, three years of control beyond that season. Um, if they sign the typical, you know, four-year extension, which we've seen um, for most guys, you know, Mahomes excluded. Um, and, and so they say, yeah, we, we might be giving you a discount, you know, in the very near future. So it's a very interesting situation for all three because they have their question marks still. Um, but the thing as a GM and, and dealing with an owner, uh, obviously, is if you if you try to you know, risk it and say, hey, we want to see more, we're not sold yet. And then, you know, Baker Mayfield, for example. And then he comes out and has a phenomenal season both personally and that roster, which is now loaded, and they make the, you know, AFC championship game, he's going to ask you for $5 million more per year than you could have gotten before. And, and that risk um, is a very hard one to take. Like, do you think all three of these guys are now in this interesting game of chicken where you don't want to be the first one to sign because, okay, you might be the best-paid quarterback in the NFL for five minutes, and then the next one is going to get a million a year more than you did. You, like, you want to be the last of the three to get your deal done because the other two are going to set the market for you. A hundred percent. When I, when I got uh, asked to, to set those projections, I think my first thing I said was it's probably just going to go in. Whoever signs first, will get the least and whoever yeah. signs last will get the most. Um, not by, not by a huge margin. Um, and, and I think this year is also particularly interesting because traditionally the fifth year option value was based on your draft slot. And so Mayfield should have had him and Allen should have had a higher fifth year option than than did Lamar Jackson. But now under the new CBA, it's tied to Pro Bowls and, and snaps in particular. So Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen actually have a larger fifth year option than, than Baker Mayfield does at first overall. So, you know, I think histor I would have just put Baker first, even though if you asked me to rank those three, I think I'd probably put him third. Um, uh, but I still would have had him at getting the highest contract just because of his draft capital and all that. But now I've kind of shifted that. But, yes, it, it is a game of chicken. You want to go last, um, and you hope that, you know, the guy that goes first, that's a good benchmark because you're going to come in above it. Uh, talk to me about a couple of football teams that are taking a little different tack. Carolina, right? They had every opportunity to go take a quarterback in this draft. They passed. Uh, they had signed Sam Darnold. Still very young player. Maybe they can make it work, and you get a you get a chance to see. Um, Detroit, right? Jared Goff. We've got to we've got to say that at least part of the reason they made the deal for Matthew Stafford was they were willing to eat the contract that the Rams didn't want to have in exchange for a couple of first round draft picks. So we're starting to see some of the the baseball stuff. You know the the Washington football team. They could have traded up, taken a quarterback. I mean, this is clearly something they're they're building. Instead, they choose to build the team. Ryan Fitzpatrick comes in and and will take over as the quarterback. The quarterback thing is just the entirety of the game right now, isn't it? And, and when you look at Carolina's situation, you had Carolina ranked fifth best cap position or cap team, uh, whatever, because in your opinion. They're building something. They're, they're sort of setting the deck, right? If Sam Darnold works out, great. But they're loading up on picks and capital and putting themselves in a position probably starting next year. Yeah, so it's a great question because I think this is the next edge that teams are going to look into. Um, because historically, the issue was is that, you know, as I mentioned with the quarterback market, is if you had a guy who ranked in the top 20, that guy was still going to get a top-of-market deal. Um, you know, or maybe not top 20, but top 15, top 12. And so now I think teams are looking at it and say, 
you know, I can get the Kirk Cousins, the Derek Carrs of the world for, you know, $30 million per year. Yes, they are good players with good situations around them. They can make the playoffs. But they're now starting to say, I either want a Patrick Mahomes that can carry someone on his back or we should go to the bargain bin and we should spend, you know, $10 million on a Ryan Fitzpatrick or even like a Cam Newton in New England um, and use all that savings to, you know, for, for those, you know, for New England to build maybe the best offensive line in football, to reinvest heavily on that defense, um, you know, like they went crazy in free agency. So it is, we're kind of seeing teams zag now to say, well, if we don't have one of those guys, we don't want to mess around in that middle tier because you're still spending a ton of money. Um, like, like, yeah, let's just go with the Sam Darnold, still young, still potential there, and still a year of his rookie contract left. Um, and, you know, is he going to be as good as a Kirk Cousins? Maybe not, but he's going to cost you, you know, 20% as much, and maybe you can make up for everything else, um, you know, on the rest of the roster. So it's it's very interesting to see because I think it's, it's a new trend that we're going to see continue to happen. How about if you're the Atlanta Falcons or the New England Patriots, Sam, and what you're doing is you're too good to ever draft yeah. in the top three or four to be able to get that. So they got Mac Jones this year, New England did, but they're sort of in football purgatory, right? There's, there's, there's a few teams like that. There, I mean, there's no way out. You're always going to, if you take that path where you're going to build the rest of the team, you're going to come in somewhere around 500 and you're never going to draft one of those top quarterbacks and you're never going to be bad, but you're never going to be good. And are you better off now? And we're all asking the same question, right? Yeah. I mean, everybody's trying to figure this out. How would you approach it? What, what, what do you see now looking forward as the right answer is it always to just try to get into that top three like a San Francisco did? Or are you willing to take the chance of being in that eight and eight range for 10 straight years, maybe? So I think there's teams now, they're all asking exactly the same question. And I think there's a few different ways of going about it. What's ironic is that all the guys that everybody's chasing, Mahomes, Deshaun Watson, Aaron Rodgers, uh, you know, all those guys, None of them were drafted number one overall. Like those guys were actually all available in positions where these Tom teams Brady, would have been yeah. picking. So the ironic thing is everybody's chasing one of those superstars, and you think, well, we're never going to pick in the top three to get one. But all the guys you're actually – when you put names to them, you actually had a shot at all those guys. You just didn't take them. But if you're not in a position to do that, I really like what Washington did in terms of, look, we'll just deal with quarterback later. <laughs> right. Let's put a roster together that can actually win some things. We'll bring in a rank average quarterback like Ryan Fitzpatrick over the last three years in terms of PFF grade has graded 15th, almost exactly in the middle of the pack. There'll be some ups, there'll be some downs, but over the year he'll shake out to about average. And if you have a really good roster around him, that's pretty good. And then maybe next year you re-up Fitzpatrick, or maybe you don't. Maybe you get a Marcus Mariota who's suddenly a free agent or whoever that quarterback is, there are going to be Fitzpatrick's available every single year. And, you know, remember like the 90s, the Minnesota Vikings spent like a decade just cycling through old veteran quarterbacks and doing well, like winning games, making the playoffs because they had an incredible defense. They had some talent elsewhere. And they just went, we're, eventually we'll stumble into a Dante Culpepper at the end of the decade, you know? I, I think there's some teams that are putting themselves in that position. And then there's also teams like Philadelphia well, they'll say, well, we'll roll a short-term dice on Jalen Hurts, but we'll also stockpile draft picks for next year. So 
neither one of these first round picks might be a high one, but together we'll have the ammunition that we can do what the 49ers did and go from the middle of the pack somewhere to the top three. You know, Brad, I I hear that point and there's a lot of validity to that. I I look at at Carolina and Denver who drafted back-to-back, right? And Justin Fields is sitting there, Mac Jones too, but let's play the game with Justin Fields first. Um, Clearly, they didn't have to make a move. They didn't have to trade. They didn't have to do anything. They both opted, two quarterback needy teams, both opted for cornerback instead of quarterback uh, in that situation. Is that, is there something there that I'm missing? And maybe other than they just didn't like Justin Fields. It's a great question. Uh, I, I struggle to, to say there is. I mean, even especially if you look at Denver. I mean, at that point, they had already signed Ronald Darby to a substantial contract, three years, $30 million. You get Kyle Fuller as a, you know, cap casualty for a one-year deal. Um, you know, you had Bryce Callahan in the slot. I mean, Sertan's going to be, as a top-10 pick, um, you know, I mean, I'm not going to say he's going to be fighting for snaps. It sounds like in camp he's already – um, you know, playing a lot, playing different roles. Um, but they had a loaded secondary. I mean, they have two good safeties and, you know, Kareem Jackson and Justin Simmons. So I, it has to, I mean, I, you know, I don't know, but I think it had to be that they love those other guys so much. And, and I guess the, you know, the positional value arguments that we make, um, I don't think anyone disagrees with quarterback, but, you know, I think those teams had to think, you know, Hey, look, he, he's a good player. Um, but we think these guys are special difference maker type players. Um, and like Sam said, we think maybe next year, um, you know, we'll, we'll be in this position again and we can maybe trade up um, if we need to. Um, but we'll, we'll kind of t- roll the dice again and see if it kind of works out, you know, going forward. But it, it's, it's an interesting question. Um, Fields not only falls past those teams, I mean, he makes it to 11, but still had to get traded up to get taken. So it's, it's a very interesting question. Um, so now I, you're going to love this one, Sam. All right, Brad. So now I want you to build a case for me that the right thing for the Green Bay Packers to do right now is to trade Aaron Rodgers. Here he is. He's coming off the MVP season. He, you look at Tom Brady, who's going to play until he's 900 years old. And if you go just by strictly by years, and apparently Aaron now is using the Tom Brady diet. Yeah, he's on the TV 12 method. Eating all that gross stuff that Tom eats all the time. (laughs) And so... Okay, maybe he gives maybe he has six more years left. And so you go to the Denver Broncos and you say, maybe he has six more years left. And look what Tom Brady's doing right now. And your roster is loaded for bear, right? Yeah. I, it's one it's maybe the top roster other than the quarterback position that that we at PFF like. So is it possible? that the right thing for the Green Bay Packers organization, I can't wait, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell America where you have Green Bay ranked here as, <laughs> I always have to, CFG, uh, Green Bay Packers <laughs> uh, ranked 18th, but if they, if, if Aaron Rodgers gets traded, they're probably number one because now they've got a rookie quarterback and they've got the world by the tail. So is there a scenario where that is the right thing for the Green Bay Packers? Yeah, well, you know, I say first, I'm looking forward to the headline grab from this being, you know, Brad Spielberger at PFF says that the Packers would be smart to trade the reigning MVP. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, again, like you mentioned at the top of the show, 
um, when you see decisions made and you kind of scratch your head, why did this get done? Um, you know, you got to follow the money. You got to look at the money. And so the situation with Rodgers in terms of arguing for a trade is that, you know, Jordan Love is going to, they have to pick up the option on his first year deal, his fifth year option after his third season. So if you let Rodgers play this year again, and then you make that move and a, there's a potential he does, he does not play as well. Um, you know, he was not as good in 2018 and 2019 as he was last year. Obviously, we don't just think that. The, the Packers thought that as well because they drafted Jordan Love. Um, if he has a down year, I think his value is still – you'll probably still get some value. It's Aaron Rodgers. But right now, you can get an absolute ransom. You know, Denver could probably send you multiple first-round picks, Bradley Chubb, um, I don't know, Cortland Sutton, whoever, whoever you want to go after, and they're probably going to have a conversation with you. Um, so, A, you're selling high. And B, you're going to be able to see Jordan Love for two seasons before you have to make a, you know, $25, $30 million fully guaranteed decision on him. Um, You know, I I think honestly that if he was lighting it up in camp and lighting it up in practice and they they were seeing things that made them think he could take over right now, um, I think they would be having those conversations and they would be more geared towards getting that done. Um, I don't think that's happening. I, I don't think that's the reality of the situation. Um, and it's, you know, it's tough to be the GM that trades the, the reigning MVP, your 17-year starter. But look, I mean, he's 38 years old. Yes, I, I think Tom Brady ruins all football analysis because the guy is just not human. But we're looking at guys like a Ben Roethlisberger, like a Matt Ryan, like any of these, uh, these other guys. I mean, this is kind of that age where you start to decline and fall off. Um, and, he's, you know, he had two kind of, you know, for him, four years before this year. So there is a case to be made. There is an argument. Um, you save about $22 million, $23 million. Um, you can use that to, you know, make Devontae Adams one of the highest paid wide receivers in the NFL. You can make Jair Alexander our number one corner on Sam's top 50, uh, one of the highest paid corners in the NFL. And you can hand Jordan Love the keys to a really, really good roster with, with a, you know, multiple first-round picks for multiple years. Um, and you can get the evaluation on him started earlier. So there is a case. Uh, I just think it's, it's two components of they're not – really seeing it from love yet and you know imagine being the gm that traded you know one of the greatest players to ever play the game um what would you do uh, sam you're you're gutekunst right now what do you do i mean you you got you got the mvp sitting there and you can't what are you going to do stretch it into october i mean if he's not gonna if he's telling you he's not going to play now a lot of people think oh he'll be back he'll he'll come back but he may not i mean yeah. if you <laughs> if you ever had a conversation with aaron you know it can be you know he can be a little hard-headed at, at times and he has options and he has options and he's, i mean he's got more money than he could spend in a right. hundred lifetimes he can go on television he could do he can do anything he's a genius he's a, he's one of the smartest guys i ever met to me the only thing worse than you know aaron Rodgers walking off retiring and leaving you holding the the, the cam with jordan love as your quarterback and him not being great is you trading him away and him winning two super bowls in denver over the next two years at least it wouldn't be the first team to do it right but like if you've you know you're green bay you've had aaron Rodgers, you got one super bowl out of him you've been chasing the second one you've gone to -to back-to-back nfc championship games it hasn't quite worked out now you trade him away and he just waltzes into two more like that you're gonna you're gonna come out of that looking really bad how about if he were to go to denver though and just watching him versus Mahomes twice a year. Be unbelievable, right? Three times a year because they're both going to get to the playoffs. And Justin, you know, it'd be, it'd be so cool. All right, uh, you're you're the guru, Brad. Give us what you do. 
you're, you're Gutekunst now. What do you do? Just sit? I mean, I know it's crazy to say, but I, I think I would pull the trigger. I, I think at this point, like you said, he's dug in, and, and he seems like a guy that is that is willing to maybe, you know, just say, hey, look, I've made a quarter of a billion dollars on the field. You know, I'm in, I'm in State Farm commercials once a week as well. So I, I, I have no issues from a financial perspective. Um, his value couldn't be higher. You know, if you ask, if you ask this question last offseason – I think we're having a different conversation where he's coming off two years where he struggled with injuries and, and didn't produce at the same level. Um, I, I think that unless you think Jordan Love is is already kind of like, you know he's not going to be the guy, um, I think you have to sell high. I mean, I think you could get two first-round picks, two second-round picks, and Bradley Chubb as the foundation of a trade, um, if not more on top of that. And if you think Jordan Love is anything, like we just talked about the rookie deals, that roster should be right back in the NFC Championship game again, and you're kind of getting the new era underway. Um, I would explore it. I would take the phone calls. I would have the conversations. Um, I'm excited for the backlash for this comment already. <laughs> so how about how about the other teams with quarterbacks? So let's talk about San Francisco. Let's talk about um, Houston, right? We get Watson. We get Garoppolo back. So that you don't have to rely on Jordan Love to play right away. And you've got a, I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo could take the Green Bay Packers potentially to a Super Bowl. Deshaun Watson certainly could if he's not serving time somewhere. So, I mean, is that a possibility? Is that under consideration at all if you're Green Bay? I think with a Garoppolo, um, I'm still waiting for that deal to get reworked. Um, I'm surprised it hasn't already. I mean, that's Trey Lance's football team. Um, you know, I don't really care what anybody else says. It's already Trey Lance's football team, and I, I expect him to get his contract redone. So if that's part of it, then yes. Um, if not, or if Jimmy wanted, you know, an extension or something like that, um, you know, it kind of changes the conversation because, you know, going into the last year of his deal um, has a pretty substantial salary. Um, so, you know, you don't want to spend any more money I don't know. I, I, I've my perception of the situation is that they're not so keen on getting a quarterback back um, because the whole point would be to then get the eval of Jordan Love underway. Um, but of course, I mean, if a team with a good, maybe like a you know a Raiders, like a Derek Carr, um, I, yeah, yeah. I mean, he could probably lead them to a to a you know Super Bowl as well with that good of a roster. Um, yeah, I mean, again, you, you answer the phone and you have the conversations, but I would want it to be like the Matt Stafford, Jared Goff trade where I'm getting, I'm still getting Derek Carr and picks on, on top of that, um, you know, maybe a good young player in addition. Um, but I do think, you know, the, the interesting thing to me is just build this mega roster. And then if Jordan Love is at least average, um, you know, you're maybe kind of in the same position you've been the last couple of years. If it's a mega roster, maybe it's just a great quarterback <laughs> and an average yeah. roster. We, we can sense a little bit of that, too. The other thing that I'm seeing a little bit more of are these sort of one-off sales. Uh, Orlando Brown, right, coming to Kansas City for uh, what may end up being just a single year, just a stopgap to try and get that team over the hump because Baltimore knew that they couldn't sign him. To, to the to the next year's contract Th that this year may become the norm for the Richard Shermans of the world that if you want to play you just got to play some bare minimum and get us into get us out of this cap hell year and get us into the following year where we can actually pay you yeah you know the, the one year deals for all these guys um in a lot of them it seemed like they tried to kind of wait it out and see if things would change um and it just has not been the case 
um, yeah, I, I mean, it's. I, I think it could benefit both parties because as we discussed too, um, you know, you, you get this one, like a Will Fuller Miami, for example, you know, that was smart of him to do because if he has another great season, um, you know, he makes it through a full 16 games without getting injured or, you know, getting, you know, pinged for PEDs, um, you know, then he's going to sign a massive contract, um, you know, in a, in a higher salary cap year. Um, for other guys, it's tough. I mean, like a, like a guy like a T.Y. Hilton in Indianapolis, you know, he probably wanted that multi-year deal to kind of see the end of his career out because he probably has two or three years left, not just the one. Um, but, you know, you, you're probably not going to have the deal go up in value at this point. It's probably going to trend downward. But there's a lot of mercenaries, as I, as I call them, and I think Richard Sherman has to kind of follow the, the Darrell Rebus mercenary role at this point, which I think he could be great in. The, the other thing that, that's starting to come up now are these – second chance quarterbacks right and i'm gonna put stafford and golf in that category uh carson wentz in that category of somebody that if they go to the right team philip rivers comes over and they gave buffalo all they wanted in the playoffs um these reclamation projects that are going on do you expect any sort of difference have we have any history of the of the second chance of, of can Carson Wentz come over? Could golf come back to the guy that basically the general manager that had something to do with drafting him with the Rams, you know, does this have any play or is this just the hope and a dream here? I, you know, that's kind of ties into something you know, we've talked about before where like your, your draft status never leaves you. Um, you know, if you're a top 10 pick, you're viewed as a top 10 pick and, Every coach in the NFL is convinced themselves, if I get my hands on this guy, I can get him back to where he was. I can get him back playing at an elite level. Um, and that just hasn't really been the case. Um, I, I think Wentz maybe could be an interesting one um, where I think, you know, a lot of it was kind of just the mental wear and tear, um, you know, dealing with the pressure and, and with Foles behind him and kind of fans clamoring for him. Um, and then, you know, their, their team just, you know, injury-wise just kind of fell apart. Um, you know, the entire offensive line, never had a wide receiver to throw to. Um, so, you know, maybe, but the hi history tells us it's more likely than not at this point that we probably know who this guy is. Um, but, yeah, I, I mean, they have a great offensive line there. They're, they're starting to add some weapons there. Like you said, Phil Rivers came in in one year and had a good good season. Um, and obviously Frank Reich and, and Carson Wentz have a good relationship. So that one, I, it, I mean, maybe I'm just kind of biased, but that one kind of sticks out to me a little bit. I'm not a huge golf believer, and I think that, that, that trade – was a salary dump. They might tell us that they believe in Jared Goff and they think they can kind of get him back on a trajectory. That may be true, um, but they made the trade to get future draft capital, more likely than not, to draft the actual future quarterback. And, and now I want to ask you about the Rams because your your comment in, was that obviously the Rams are all in. The Rams have been all in for a little while here now. I mean, it, it's unbelievable. I've never seen a team. Maybe the old Washington football team almost did it under George Allen. You know, they would they would dump the first round draft picks, and they had good teams um, that pretty much continuously after that. But these are these are some interesting times for the Rams because they're kind of penciled themselves into the corner a little bit here haven't they i mean they made the trade for the quarterback they're selling out on the draft picks you know they go out and they sign huge deals to just a handful of players um this is kind of it isn't it 
100%. No, this is the window right here. Um, you know, and, and I think, of course, as we as we talk about, you know, if, if Matt Stafford is a top 10 quarterback, then this, they should be, um, you know, an NFC favorite and, and contending for a Super Bowl. Um, I mean, look, if you're Stan Kroenke and you, you have Walton money behind you, then, you know, the salary cap is, is just a, uh, you know, just an accounting mechanism to work around. But, yeah, they've been all in for a long time. Um, but I think the quarterback was the final move to truly push the chips into the center of the table. Um, and the ramifications of moving all the, uh, the picks and everything like that. Also, just getting, you know, Brad Holmes gets poached to Detroit. You know, obviously a very valued member of that front office. You're losing coaches now. Sean McVay has to replace Brandon Staley on defense. Um, you know, and is losing his offensive coordinator seemingly every season. So the, the wheels start to fall off and it gets tough. I mean, Aaron Donald is still a freak of nature, but he's, uh, he's going to be 30 this year. So they have the next two or three years, I think, where – I mean, they have to at least make a Super Bowl um, to kind of justify, you know, everything they did this this offseason. All right, that, I'm going to transition over to Sam for a minute. You just came out with the top 50 players in the NFL, uh, according to PFF. You and Steve and God only knows who else is involved in that. <laughs> but Aaron Donald for the fifth straight year, yeah, right, is uh, PFF's number one rated guy. Mm -hmm. Now, when I first bought PFF, we were back in the days of J.J. Watt, and J.J. Watt, we sat in a room together, all of us, trying to figure out how do we – we had a 1 to 100 scale for the player, and in order for really top flight, all pro, pro bowl players to not be basically in the 80s, because J.J. if you're going to put J.J. at 99 or whatever the highest score was – these all-star players had to be 89 or something like that because there was such a gap. But now we're seeing with Aaron Donald five straight years now of the best player in the NFL. In your guys' recollection, is there ever been a player that at any position that you would say could potentially be called the best player in football for five straight years? No, I, I don't think anyone's had that longevity. You're, the two guys that we've seen play at that kind of level since PFF has been grading, which goes back to 2006 now, is J.J. Watt and Aaron Donald. And you're right, we when PFF started, we had this old plus-minus grading system, and you started off at zero, and then you either went up or you went down. And we started off, and the highest grades you were going to get over a season was like a plus 30. And that was Justin Smith back in the day. And we used to think that Justin Smith was about as good as it got for a defensive the 49ers lineup. guy. Yeah, and, then, and former Bengal as well. And oh, then, yeah. then J.J. Watt rocks up, and plus 30 goes to plus 90. And like the order of magnitude between J.J. Watt and the next guy was ridiculous. And, and then Aaron Donald comes along and goes slightly higher than that, and didn't get injured, has just kept going. So instead of the, you know, the three defensive players of the year that J.J. Watt had, and then the injuries kind of took him out and he's never quite been the same player again, Donald has just kept going. And he's the only player in the NFL where you say it's just not even a question. Like the gap between him and the next guy at his position every year is huge. And, you know, one of the things that people ask is, well, how do you separate Donald and Mahomes? Like Mahomes is the best quarterback in the NFL. He's amazing. He's the best player in the NFL because he's a quarterback. And the way we do it is you say, well, in any given year, Mahomes might not be the best quarterback in the league. Rodgers was better than him last year. Rodgers is the MVP. Rodgers was the best quarterback. You know, uh, Josh Allen was right up there this year. Lamar Jackson has been unanimous MVP. So in any given season, 
Mahomes might not be that guy. There's never a question with Donald. It's Donald up here, and then somewhere down here, there are other people fighting to be the second best guy. But it's it's not even in in, in up for debate. I, I mean, it has been a remarkable a remarkable run. And I, I sent something out the other day. I said, do we have to now consider this guy is one of the greatest, if not the greatest player of all time? Now, the positional value we all get. Right. You're probably the 10th quarterback is going to be more valuable Easily, than, yeah. you know, what Aaron Donald is. And that's that's the way that it goes. But I mean, th- this it, we've seen some phenomenal play and there's just been it's a great thing about PFF, I think, is that you do get down in the weeds with every single player and there's no more secrets. There's no more. You know, well, I, you know, oh, my feeling is and I've seen this guy pancake people and it's like. Yeah, but is he doing it consistently and, and what's going on? So it's been interesting. But to get back to the Rams point for just a minute, 17-game schedule now. And I'm just going to read off a few of the names that are gone. So they signed Stafford and they signed Deshaun Jackson. God bless him. I hope he stays healthy because when he's healthy, he's a dynamo, right? But not they didn't, do, they didn't get anybody. They lost Goff. Michael Brockers, John Johnson, arguably one of the best safeties in, in all of football. Austin Blythe, who's going to be his center for the for the Chiefs now. Uh, Abukum played a bunch for him. Troy Hill was a good slot player for them for a long time. Uh, Malcolm Brown, the running back. Morgan Fox played a lot of downs out there. Gerald Everett was in a rotation on the tight end. Josh Reynolds was a blocker and did a lot of things for him. So, in, in as the, the season now expands and we get out to 17 games and God knows where it goes from there, that we are now in a situation will depth be deciding these games more so than star players because if you lose one or two of those star players, these guys are the guys playing in the playoffs and Super Bowl that are no longer on your football team. Yeah, and the interesting thing, specifically with the Rams, is, and this goes back several years, and, and we know that injuries are largely random, but um, you look at analyses from even sites other than ours, but also, you know, some of the, the interns in the, in the R&D department recently put out a kind of war-adjusted, you know, uh, war loss to injury, and you kind of adjust it. Uh, and the Rams were like, have been the healthiest team or one of the healthiest teams and have <laughs> lost the fewest snaps to injury at important positions as well going back the last several years. So they're so top-heavy. They have all these very good players, but then, you know, the depth starts to get hit. You don't have a ton of draft capital, and you're used to being healthy. Um, I'm not going to say it's a recipe for a disaster, but it, it is an injury impacts them potentially more than it could impact another team that has, you know, better depth and, and more guys that are, you know, ready to step up. It's, it's definitely an interesting question, like you said, once you add in the extra game as well. Let me fight the Ram side of this for a Go little for bit. Go for it. Because I – I kind of love what they're doing in a weird way, if only in part because it's different to everybody else. But it sort of feels like injuries are going to dictate largely who's there at the end of this thing anyway. Like injuries dictated last year's Super Bowl champion. The Kansas City Chiefs were able to get all the way to the Super Bowl, one injury too many on that offensive line, and they just had no shot in that game. Couldn't overcome that many injuries. And when you look at it every year, it's it's largely the healthiest teams that are there in the last four or five guys fighting it out. So if the Rams lose two or three of their most important positions, it doesn't matter whether they've assembled a bunch of depth or if they've done what they've done and loaded up on those guys. That's the end of it. They're probably not winning. 
But what the Rams have done is essentially decided that, you know what, the most important thing is being really good in a few spots, knowing we're good at a few spots. And then the depth, there's not that much gradation between a guy that we go and get in free agency and pay a decent amount of money to and a guy we can draft in the third round and put next to Aaron Donald and he'll get his 15 sacks or whatever. Um, and so they, they trade away all these first round picks for these guaranteed commodities. They know they have to pay him big money, but you see the impact that a Jalen Ramsey has, not just because he can go one-on-one -on -one with, you know, New Hopkins and all these number one receivers, but because it means Darius Williams never has to. So Darius Williams can have like a Pro Bowl season on the other side because he never has to see the likes of DeAndre Hopkins and DK Metcalf. And it means Troy Hill can look great in the slot because, again, he's dealing with the third guy in the depth chart. And the other thing is the Rams actually end up getting back a lot of draft picks during the draft. So they roll into the draft with like three picks and you're like, this team's screwed. They've got no draft capital. But they came out of this draft with nine draft picks. And, you know, what, one, two, three, four, five of them were in the first four rounds. So they, they do a good job of, like, trading back and just getting more of these rookies and hoping to achieve essentially the same thing and essentially just parlaying their first-round pick into Matthew Stafford and Jalen Ramsey and the, the proven guys that they think will actually have a bigger impact. Lose your defensive coordinator. Uh, I, you know, uh, that, that was the number one defense yeah. a season ago. They were really good. Jalen Ramsey starting to play that star position inside a little bit more so he could have more of an impact. Uh, you know, I, if Deshaun Jackson comes out and has a healthy year, yeah, okay, I'm all in. I, I, I think uh, that's, a, that's a lot of ifs and buts, and uh, I'm not sure. I, I, I want to flip it around, Brad, for a second here. Everybody has given up on the New England Patriots, right? It's over. Tom Brady won the Super Bowl. It's over. You look at where that team is right now, and they did, in the words of Robert Kraft, we did what we used to laugh at other teams for doing, which is go sign a bunch of free agents. Uh, and it's a long list, right? They they added a lot of players. They have a quarterback now in, their, in his second year, and Cam Newton uh, in that same offense who uh, also dealt with COVID a season ago. Uh, you have a young up-and-comer in Mac Jones that, that may end up taking the snaps. Who knows? Uh, you've got all the guys. They had more guys opt out for COVID. Hightower, certainly one at the top of the list as far as that. But this is a back-to-the-future kind of draft for them with uh, Hunter Henry and Jonu Smith. They're going to try and go back to the old two tight end kind of game that works so well. They get uh, Kyle Van Noy back. They get Matthew Judon over from the Ravens. It, Nelson Aguilar at a monster. Trent Brown comes back over for this team. Is is it possible that we all just watched the Super Bowl and went, oh, it's all Tom Brady? And, and the other thing I'll say the New England Patriots probably depends on depend on practice more than any team I've been around. This is a team that practices harder on Friday than most teams do on Wednesday and Thursday. So they're out there working it, and they missed the whole offseason. They had none of the OTAs. So none of the expertise from the coaching staff really came into play last year. Is it possible that we're all falling in love with the Dolphins and the Buffalo Bills in that division, and we're going to all go, oh, okay, okay, the, the monster's back here. You know, I think it's certainly possible. Uh, of all the, the great quotes uh, that Bill Belichick has had over the, you know, the last 20, 30 years, my, my favorite is 
from back in 2014, he was it was a very like simple answer. Um, they kind of shifted from a 3-4 to a 4-3, and he got asked, you know, why you make that decision. He said, well, when I first installed the 3-4, there were about three teams running it in the entire NFL. So, you know, nose tackles were easy to find, and outside linebackers were really easy to find. He goes, now there's 20 teams running a 3-4 because everyone copied me and the Steelers. So I switched to a 4-3 because there's more defensive ends around, and there's more, you know, like, it was the most simplistic answer, but I think that's just kind of the, the genius of Bill Belichick where – when everyone zigs, he zags. And so I think, you know, the Ravens have done it, as you said. Um, and, yeah, they're going to play ground-and-pound football. I mean, these teams with these 220-pound linebackers, they're going to try to just bully them off the field. Um, and their offensive line is, is maulers as the starters, and they have depth. Um, so I, I think it is possible where it's not a pretty brand of football. Um, they're not maybe not, you know, racking up 40 points on anybody. Um, but they kind of just get back to fundamentals, like you said, um, and kind of eke out some close wins and, and win a lot of football games. Um, I think the interesting thing there, and of course, Belichick has a huge impact on this, but if Stephon Gilmore can't get brought back in that building, um, I, I mean, I'm frankly a bit worried about that secondary. J.C. Jackson's a fine player, but I think he's a number two corner. Um, and, and they have question, you know, Patrick Chung retires. Yes, Dante Hightower's on the way back. Um, you know, they've drafted pretty well on that side of the ball. The, the front is loaded. Um, and you add Barmore, um, but but that defense, if they don't have Gilmore, you know, back in the building under a contract, he, he appreciates it. You know, it, it gets pretty interesting on the defensive side of the ball as well. Who do you guys love going into this year? I mean, so every year we know there's going to be a mystery team, right? There, there's definitely going to be one mystery team. There'll be there'll be five. You add a, another team to the playoffs. There'll be there'll be at least five teams. You go. There's no way at the beginning of the year I could have picked that team to go into the playoffs, the additional playoff round, the, the whole thing. Who, who is it? Who is that team this year? It's got to be Dallas has got to be one that comes off the heap, right? I mean, that's got to be top of mind. I mean, the NFC East is still wide open. Like, it should be better than a year ago, but you could still see any one of those teams emerge. Like, Washington, I could easily see making a run. They were... They were they had the same record as the Patriots last year. It's funny how perception is different. Like for New England, it's the wheels have fallen off, everything's broken, blow it up, start over. For Washington, everyone's like, eh, this is a sneaky dark horse team for the playoffs. It's like the Bears. I, I, I right. remember almost being surprised. It's like, oh yeah, I forgot they made the playoffs. Yeah, they were in the playoffs with <laughs> Mitchell Trubisky as the quarterback. Um, so I could easily see Washington, like even going to Fitzpatrick, the jump a quarterback is massive. Plus, they added a bunch of talent. Like they brought in guys like Curtis Samuel and Deami Brown in the draft. They've gotten a lot better. And their head coach is not battling cancer anymore. Like they, what Ron Rivera was dealing with his own, you know, personal health issues for the first half of that year. That has to have had an effect. Yeah. How about the Saints? Can the Saints do this again? I I you know, you you make the comment in there. And you forget about this, but Teddy Bridgewater and Taysom Hill, they're eight and one with the Saints the last two years. We're having to fill in for Drew Brees. Eight and one. So yeah. is Jameis is Jameis that much worse <laughs> that he can't just pick up the reins and and it's assuming it's not going to be Taysom. I, you know, can it though? <laughs> I mean, it's got to be Jameis to start the year, don't you think? I mean, maybe. I the Taysom Hill thing is not that crazy. Like Taysom Hill's biggest problem as a starter last year was he couldn't hit the deep ball, and it wasn't because he doesn't have the arm for it. It's because every deep ball he put in the air was like two seconds late, and you know that feels like something you could correct a little bit and say, "Look, these are going to be 
design shot plays off the back of your rushing threat. So just put the ball in the air sooner. If he does that, he was actually pretty accurate on the underneath stuff. It's an offense that can function, you know, a little bit like Baltimore and Lamar Jackson. It's it gets enhanced by the fact that you have to worry about him running running the football. Who, who do you like, Brad? Who, who's the yeah, team? Well, just quick to the Saints' point, yeah, Sean Payton. You can never count him out. I almost think he enjoys game planning without like without Drew Brees. I think it just brought the creative juices out of him. But I guess you know if, if we're talking a team that could surprise. Um, let's say Aaron Rodgers isn't in the NFC North. I mean, Minnesota, now that they've made all these additions, are, are pretty interesting. Um, I mean, you have, you have four defensive linemen that did not log a snap last year for, for Minnesota, and Dalvin Tomlinson, a very good player. Daniil Hunter, we obviously all know, is a phenomenal player. Michael Pierce opted out. He'll be back. And now Sheldon Richardson. So four very good players that were not there last year. Um, and then Bashad Breeland, you know, comes over from Kansas City. Um, and you have Patrick Peterson, who, you know, is not the same as he used to be. But, you know, Mike Zimmer's not having a bad defense two years in a row. I'll tell you that much right now. Um, and if Rodgers isn't there, then that offense, um, you know, you add Christian Darasaw. They've had a left tackle. You know, you add a young left tackle you add, and a right guard and Wyatt Davis. Um, and, you know, you get the second year of Justin Jefferson, um, you know, and so on and so forth. I, I mean, they're kind of an interesting team where I think, you know, I think a lot of people count him out. I think, obviously, people love to rag on Kirk Cousins and, and you know, from whether it's granted or not. But if Aaron Rodgers is not in that NFC North, uh, I think the door is wide open for them to – I mean, I think they could sweep the division um, and then kind of, you know, win some other games, get to the playoffs. And we've seen them go into New Orleans, beat the Saints in New Orleans, and, in my opinion, the hardest place to play. So they could be kind of a, a sneaky contender. I just keep thinking if Aaron Rodgers is in Denver – yeah, the football is a really interesting game next year. I mean, it really is. It, could Denver pull off again, taking a quarterback at the end of his career and end up playing in a Super Bowl against Tom Brady and the other half of that? I mean, th this has been a weird year. Yeah, this has been a weird year and we haven't even gotten started with this thing yet there have been rumors of quarterbacks and russell wilson and deshaun watson and aaron Rodgers and all <laughs> these draft choices that are coming it, it's going to be great this year and the funny thing with denver is that they go from like one end of the spectrum to the other based entirely off whether rogers plays for them or not if rogers is playing are they they're like second favorites for the super bowl they're right up there with the kansas city chiefs with tampa bay if Rodgers isn't there, they have one of the worst quarterback situations in the NFL, and they're not, they don't have a winning record. They've got one of the worst records in the NFL despite having a stacked roster. All right, final question, Brad. I want one roster, salary cap, something that's in the back of your mind that, that you're going, we need to pay attention to this. This is, this is going to be a factor here coming down the stretch and into this season. In, in a good way or in a bad way? I'll take a bad way. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I think a lot of it played out. I think, you know, COVID kind of forced some of those teams to kind of take their licks and, and have to deal with it in, in the short term. Um, you know, we talked about Philly. We talked about New Orleans, um, you know, and, and Atlanta as well. Um, you know, I think a lot of teams really cleared their books. But I guess, um, you know, a team that I think it, it gets interesting, I'll, I'll say, is um, they're in a very healthy situation right now. But they have so many guys to extend that I think it's just going to become interesting, uh, maybe not this year, but going forward, is Indianapolis, where you add, you know, the Carson Wentz, so you take on a very big contract, basically a four-year, $100 million is what they absorbed. But then you have Quentin Nelson is going to become the highest-paid guard in the NFL history. 
Darius Leonard is going to become the highest paid off ball linebacker in NFL history. Uh, you know, maybe him and Fred Warner play a game of chicken, but yeah, Braden Smith at right tackle who needs a substantial contract and, and so on and so forth, where I think they'll just be interesting. You know, they've been healthy. They're in a good spot, but they're going to go from spending no money to all of a sudden having, you know, four or five guys on the roster making $20 million or close to it per year. Um, and I think it's going to get very interesting. Um, and it's kind of going to be a make or break, you know, these next couple of years. Yeah. I, I, I can't wait to watch the Cowboys play this year. I mean, the way they were playing offense last year, if they get anywhere back close to that, I, I was thinking if I were, if I had Dak Prescott, what would I do with him in preseason or to get him ready? I probably would call a running play with him the first play. Like, let's go get this over with, yeah. right? I want you to have control of the ball. I want you to be able to, you know, dictate the hit and not get a blindside thing. But we got to get you back in play here. Um, because man, when they were at the beginning of the year, they were smoking it. We and, uh, we worked it out that over a over a seventeen game schedule, Dak was on pace for something like sixty eight hundred passing yards at the time he went down. It was ridiculous. And, and they're gonna they're a whole new defense. Obviously, they're, I think yep. um, I think their first six players drafted uh, were were defensive players. Um, so they have to make some major changes. They go to that Seattle, Dan Quinn, uh, Seattle cover three kind of stuff, which is, if nothing else, very simple. And people will understand their role and they know where the weaknesses are, the defense. They've got more fast linebackers than any team in NFL history. Maybe I don't know what they're going to do with all of them. But I, I'm, I'm really interested to see what the Cowboys are going to do. It's been great, guys. Thank you very much for uh, – I know it was kind of last minute, but uh, I've been wanting to do my homework on some of the salary cap. Brad, I'm not finished with you yet, though. I'll be calling you offline and uh, getting educated here. I'll be ready. All right, man. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having us. Want to thank Sam and Brad for uh, joining me today. That is, I love just going through the league like that. That's my favorite kind of show to do. Uh, but next week, we're going to meet yet another uh, AFC quarterback, and we look forward to doing that. Tremendous guy. Uh, looking forward to that. So we will see you next week right here on the Chris Collinsworth Podcast. <laughs>